Hey everyone, and welcome to the podcast of the Eagle Community Church of Christ here in Mont Bellevue, Texas. My name is John Gunter. I'm the preaching minister here at our church, and we're so thankful that you've joined us here. Today we talk about the second part of our little mini-series on unity in Christ. I really think it's one of the most important things we can understand as a church, and my prayer is that we go through this with open minds, open hearts, and that at the end of the day, we too can pray for the unity that Jesus prayed for there in John 17. So today I just kind of um, add more to what we did in the first part. And again, I hope that it, it pulls us back into where do I stand in this? Am I showing evidences of the spirit or am I someone dividing? All right. Thanks again for joining us. We'll see you soon. Bye-bye. Well, again, we welcome you uh, to our worship here. Hope your day started out better than mine. Walked into my uh, bathroom, put my hands on the counter, and they were wet from the ceiling leaking. So that's a wonderful way to start your Sunday morning. Uh, but we'll hopefully we'll get that fixed soon. Um, we're, we're talking today, uh, kind of continuing the conversation from last week, talking about having unity in Christ, kind of like I, I joked earlier, what we talked about last last week. How can you live with someone for sixty-one years when you have differences? Uh, y'all know that. Y'all know husbands and wives have differences. Anybody found that out yet? Okay. So a lot of what I said last week was a lot of my premarital counseling. When I do that, is to kind of uh, kind of bring together what I expect marriage to be and what marriage will be. Anybody knows there's a difference there sometimes? I would make you laugh if I told you all the things I thought marriage would be and then what marriage was. Uh, I won't embarrass my wife this morning, so she's already kind of blushing. But, um, but yeah, we, we kind of see we have differences and we expect different things, and we are different people, right? We come to this place with different understandings and different opinions and so how in the world can we say we have unity? Well, the thing is to understand unity is to understand that we are all different, but we are unified by something bigger than us, right? We are unified by the way that God loves us, even to the point where he sent his one and only son to die for us. And because of that, we are unified. Now, we will have disagreements. We will have uh, differences of opinion. We'll have misunderstandings. But as long as we keep the main thing, the main thing, in that Jesus Christ is Lord of our lives, we will have unity. So we start today uh, in, with Jesus' prayer in John 17. John 17, starting in verse 20, Jesus praying to God here. He said, my prayer is not for them alone, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. So he's talking about his disciples there. We talked about last week how when, he, when Jesus prays this, he's talking about every one of us. Because we are only here because of the message of Jesus' disciples, right? They're saying, hey, this is all true. We witnessed it. And because of that, almost 2,000 years later, we sit here in a room worshiping Jesus Christ is Lord. Isn't that amazing? Because of the unity they had with Jesus. And he says, verse 21, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. 
I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, in them, and I in them, and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. I went a little bit farther this week because I wanted us to see kind of all that Jesus prayed for there. But did you notice again how Jesus didn't pray for unity for unity's sake? He didn't say, hey, it would be cool if they were all united. He said, no, there's a purpose for the church to be united in Jesus Christ, and that is so that others will see that and come to faith in who Jesus is and how much God has loved each and every one of us. Did you notice that? That We don't take this lightly. We don't take, oh, that's a cool concept. You know, theoretically, that would be nice. No, we look at this, and Jesus said, no, there's a reason. Because if, if what the world sees is a group of people united under this, working together, though we have differences, that's a little bit different than we experience a lot of times, isn't it? Anybody know how divisive the culture is right now, different ways? I, I'm not breaking any news to anyone. And, and so what Jesus prays for is something that should be attractive to us. We talk often about, you know, how, how much this uh, community is going to grow with, I think, over 4,000 homes planned right now in, in our small community. Homes, not people, homes. And so can you imagine those people, those theoretical people, coming in and what they find is a church that meets in the same place, but we're divided. We've got factions here. we got this group versus this group, brother A over here versus brother B over here, right? I said sister A and sister B one time and I got in trouble. So brother A and brother B are the ones having the problem. Sisters got it worked out. (laughs) But we can find divisiveness and division everywhere we look, right? So why would anyone want to come and worship with a church who shows the same thing I can get anywhere? Mm Mm-mm. Jesus has called us to more. He has called us to be different and united in him. Colossians 3 says this, Paul writing here, he says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Sometimes we forget how we can be. You ever get in an argument with somebody or, or something happens, you just feel negative? Like I can walk around the house having that negative feeling like I'm upset about something and sometimes I can't remember what it is and I've got to think back and say, what was it I was mad about? And then when I finally remember it, then I'm mad again. But, but a lot of times in those arguments, you know, we, we just keep that kind of negative feeling going. And, and 
what we're doing here is, is we're not remembering how we are. So when I am in a disagreement with you, who do I think is right? You? No, of course not, right? I think I'm right. You think you're right. And so we've got two people, probably two real hard-headed people for anything like me, but two hard-headed people upset with each other, and we forget, listen, everybody needs forgiveness. Notice what Paul said, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Remember, you're God's problem child. You know yourself, right? You know the ways that you uh, do things that you know are wrong. Now, man, I just can't, I, I can't believe I did that. But when you get in with a disagreement with someone else, oftentimes we forget, listen, I need that same forgiveness right now that I think these people need or that they think I need. And so Paul gives us a reminder there that A, he says this because not everything's gonna be perfect, is it? Not everything, even with church people, is gonna be smooth, right? But he said, you, because of who you are, because of whose you are, you bear with one another and you forgive one another because of what God has done for you. Anybody need God's forgiveness today? That's what he's saying. Um, it, it's kind of like, I, I think it's kind of looking at yourself in the mirror. I got to remind myself, yeah, I'm, I, I need forgiveness too. You ever caught yourself out of the side of a mirror or, I, think it, I haven't been at Target in a long time, but you know, I remember walking through Target and glancing up and like, who's that bald guy? Oh no, it's me. <laughs> It's like you have this image of yourself, you know, and I'm right and I'm perfect and I got this figured out and all of a sudden it's like, oh no. And we just need that reminder. Not that we're less than, but we are loved and we are loved and, and forgiven because of God's love for us and we should show that love to one another. Verse 14 says, and over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. So put on all these things and the way that you can put on all these things, and it makes sense, is because you love each other. Because love does some things that don't make sense a lot of times, doesn't it? I talked about last week how we can love our family, like our blood relatives so much that we'll overlook a lot, right? Because they're family. We got to deal with it. But often church, we feel like, ah, we can just kind of disconnect at any point, right? And so we don't fight and scratch and, and work on it. Uh, in the same way, we're, we're just kind of, well, okay. But no, because we have love for one another, we can get in here and we can work together despite differences. And he says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Peace of Christ. Drama does not fit there, does it? We want to experience peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body, you were called to peace. He says, and be thankful. One of the questions I think we ought to be asking as we go through lessons like this, is what does it mean to be a unity person? What does it mean to, uh, uh, to be for unity within the body of Christ? I think more direct is, am I? So uh, I think the first one we can be looking at, yeah, they're not. But I think we ought to be asking, am I a person dedicated to unity within the body of Christ? Again, the idea of looking into the mirror or the, the lying video at Target's Surely I've got hair back there. But remember this. Paul says this, and I know we, it kind of comes off as harsh, but I think there's a reason. 
from Titus 3, verse 10. He says, warn a divisive person once and then warn them a second time. So even a divisive person, someone who is there to separate, not bring together. This is almost, you know, a dichotomy here. So unity and divisiveness don't belong in the same sentence. You can't be a divisive person wanting unity. That doesn't work. But even those people go to them and encourage them. Tell them what's happening and encourage them. Love them because you love them. And if they still don't do it, go back another time. Again, because of love, trying to bind us together. But after you've gone twice and they still are dedicated not to unity, but of pulling the body apart, he says, after that, have nothing to do with them. You may be sure that such people are warped and sinful. They are self-condemned. How do you condemn yourself? Well, your actions, the way that you are living your life, the way that you are showing, I'm not committed to this prayer that Jesus prayed. I'm more committed into stirring the pot. Nobody knows anybody like that, right? I'm more committed to how I want to do things, how I want to keep things going. And he says, these people are sinful. They are self-condemned. We don't do this lightly. Even as a church, we may think, oh, I don't want to do this at all. We don't do this lightly at all, but because we love someone, we have to point this out and say, you're not building up the body. You're not encouraging the brothers and sisters. You're tearing it down. And because of that, we've got to separate, and we've got to part ways for a while, hoping that they will come back and things will be changed and different. But I think to be a good church, you've got to look at that because, again, of what Jesus prayed for. Jesus said, unity means that people see that. And people come to faith because of your unity in Jesus Christ. So if what they find here is a divided church full of people who just want to pick sides and be angry with one another, we're not going to have that, are we? We're not going to have people coming to faith. We might have some people who like drama that want to be involved in it. I don't know. But people coming to faith is not going to happen. That's a serious thing in our church. And so we need to be a church body dedicated to unity in Jesus Christ. Paul says this in Galatians 5, starting in verse 13. He says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. We need to say that again, don't we? Serve one another humbly in love. Serve only the people you like. Serve only the people that have you over for dinner. Serve who? Serve each other. Look at each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. Serve humbly, bringing yourself down that I'm not too good for any of this, that I'm going to serve you in love. He says, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So you and I get in a discussion and, it, and it's heated and I think I'm right and I'm hard-headed and you think you're right and you're hard-headed and we just keep going at each other. And one of us thinks we're going to win, right? We both probably think we're going to win. But what does that do as we go at each other? Heath McCartney, I, I love Heath and he knows I, you know, I pick on him. Uh, I don't mean anything by it. But if me and Heath are in a discussion and a disagreement, we keep going at each other, 
How is that building up the body? How is that encouraging the other members of the church? Because all we're doing is biting and devouring each other. Now, we both think we're right, and we both think it ought to be our way, and we both think if the other would choose my way, this would all be a better situation. So we got some, some, some holy righteousness in that, right? It's my way, and I stand on the side of Jesus, as we both say that, right? And so we go at each other, but all we're doing is biting and devouring. He said, notice what will happen. He said, watch out or you will both be destroyed. You'll be destroyed by each other. There's no winner here. There are only two losers. And the church loses as well. You ever heard the saying, uh, don't argue with a crazy person because somebody passing by may not know which one's which? <laughs> now, again, imagine the people coming to this community and they walk into this building, and that's the kind of thing they see. Fighting and devouring. And I don't want any of that. No thanks. I can get that anywhere. But what if they come to this place and what they find is love and kindness and a unity around Jesus Christ as Lord, and yet we have differences, but the main thing, still the main thing, now that's attractive. I've said over and over, the church ought to be the example for how to disagree or have discussions where we don't see eye to eye how to do that within the world. And if we can't do that in this place with these people who say they love the Lord, how in the world should we expect it to happen outside? Church ought to be the place where it happens and happens very well. But often we get stuck in this. We, we live in that, that feeling of I've been wronged and they need to do this. Uh, you know, because I'm never wrong. And, and what we end up doing was not winning an argument, not feeling like, oh, I finally conquered. But what we do is destroy each other. We mess up families, we mess up relationships, and we injure the church by our witness and by the, uh, uh, the way that we come together no longer in unity and peace, but in drama and anxiety and those things that we don't want to live in. Verse 16 says, so I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. I move that we strike that from the record. What do you say? So that you are not to do whatever you want. I don't like that as much as you don't like that. But if we're going to have a relationship with other people, that's part of it, isn't it? In a marriage, in a friendship, in a whatever. In a church relationship, brothers and sisters in Christ, all members, all different members of the same body, we have to do this. You don't do whatever you want. The Spirit brings us together. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, Discord, again, you're not seeing peace in that, are you? Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, not humble service, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, going away from unity, envy, drunkenness, orgies. And, and Paul says, you know what? I don't have time to, to name every single thing I can think of. So how about and the like? Some of you read that and thought, hey, my thing's not on there. And Paul said, no, and the like. You know what they are. <laughs> In parentheses, gotcha, you know. He says, I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's as clear as anyone can make it this morning. 
If you want to live like that, I'm going to put myself first, and what I'm going to do is indulge in all of these negative things that don't bring about unity, that don't encourage others to faith in Christ, you are not going to inherit the kingdom of God. Do you understand that, church? He says, but the fruit of the Spirit, the evidence, this is the way I want you to hear it, the evidence that the Holy Spirit of God is in your life. That's how you should read this. Not this theoretical far away, hey, there's a tree with fruit on it. The evidence the Holy Spirit of God is in your life, the way other people can look at you and say, hey, that's a, that's a Jesus person. Love, joy, peace forbearance, which is patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things, there is no law. So as we hold that mirror up to ourselves, we look at this and say, is this what people see when they think of me? Do they see this, this kindness and goodness, this, this faithfulness in the way that I love God, I love the Lord, the way I live my life because of it. They see a gentleness and a self-control in my life that I want to emulate. Because we can get all of these things out of whack and we can think crazy things are fruits of the Spirit. I had a church person one time who was highly respected by some, not me anymore, unfortunately. But the complaint he had against me is that I didn't get angry enough. What do you say to that? Uh, sorry? What about the self-control thing? What about keeping your head in all circumstances? What about that? But he had elevated this leadership quality of getting angry and fiery, and all of a sudden, all of a sudden to him, that's a fruit of the Spirit. Doesn't make sense. It's not biblical, but we kind of substitute what we want to in and out of these lists. But Paul says the fruit, the evidence that the Holy Spirit of God is in your life are these things right here. Is that who you are uh, to other people? He said, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. Don't Again, that's an idea of not being humble anymore. I'm conceited. I'm the best. Y'all know it, right? I'm the best. I'm the smartest. Who said no? <laughs> He's right. So I can't say anything. We shouldn't think of each other like that, right? I shouldn't think of myself as the best. I should be humble. I should be able to serve. I should be able to be there for my brother and sister, not provoking, not envying what they have, not what gift, what physical, material possessions, nothing like that. Because those things tear apart. They don't build up and encourage. They just drive wedges between us and our relationships with each other. So I want to ask this again. What does it mean to be a unity person? Number one, I join in Jesus' prayer for unity. That the way that Jesus prayed and that I hope they are one because we are one. And if that's the case, people are going to come to faith through that. And I want to be a part of it. So I join in Jesus' prayer. Number two, I desire to bring people to Christ. Now, that doesn't need to be a theoretical. That doesn't need to be a, hey, that's a good idea. I hope that happens. 
But this is an intentional thing that, hey, I believe in Jesus' prayer. I want to have unity. I want to have people come to faith through this. Well, I desire to bring those people, so I'm going to do something. How can I help out? How can I encourage our community, reach out to our community? Uh, what can I do? What is my role here to help bring people to Christ? Number three, I am willing to forgive. Some of you need to mention that a couple of times. Just say it over and over in your head. I am willing to forgive. One of the hardest things for me to do is to forgive someone who will not say sorry. That, that, that bad feeling, that, that bad taste in your mouth, like why can I get this feeling away from me? That For me, this is one of them. When somebody does something to me and they won't even say sorry. Uh, the, I'll give you an example without sharing anybody na anybody's name or anything. But I had a, a preacher talk about my church one time. He got off at a different place, and he talked very negatively about my congregation. Not only did he talked negatively, he was wrong. And so it was, it was slander is what it was. And, and so I called him. And, and by the way, if you're in public speaking, I know some of you are like, that's the worst thing I could ever think of doing. If you're in public speaking, sometimes you're going to say something that's stupid. You're going to say something you didn't mean to say. You're going to say something that you didn't think through enough why I should say this or shouldn't say that. Or one time I called my parents, my grandparents. I'm sure they, they had a great day after that. But, you know, you just slip up and say things. And so in my mind, this guy's going to apologize, and we're just going to kind of go forward, right? He wouldn't do it. His head was too hard or something. And so he would not apologize for anything. And so instead of that being cleared up, because I feel like I would have cleared that up, and you say, sorry, I'm good. I, that's what, if, if I slip up this morning, I'm going to say sorry to you. But he wouldn't. And so I kept that feeling with me until I learned to forgive someone who wouldn't even say sorry. But I need to be that person, don't I? Because again, Look in the mirror, God forgave me. And I'm pretty much a problem child to him. Number four, I desire to walk by the Spirit. So all those things we talked about, that I have that desire to live that kind of life. And number five, not only do I have the desire, it's not theoretical, it's not a good idea. It's like, man, that'd be great. No, I show evidence in my life that the Holy Spirit of God lives in me. That all those fruits, all those evidences of the Spirit is what someone thinks of me when they think of John Gunter. Man, he is a patient, kind, helpful person. Not the other list where we can go down all kinds of roads with us. But the Spirit of God is active in my life. It doesn't mean you look at me and think perfection. But you think of someone who uh, lives by the Spirit. So when those moments of imperfection or falling, choosing to do something I know is wrong, but I get up and I get back on the road, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm able to be this kind of person and move closer and closer in my relationship to God. So where are you this morning? Are you a person dedicated to unity? Are you a person who... On the other hand, like drama, like to stir things up, like to divide instead of bring together. Because one of those things will bring people in 
One of those things will make the gospel of Christ seem pretty attractive and pretty awesome, and the other will only drive people away. So we as a church need to decide who are we going to be? And I hope for all of us, because the way God loved us, because of the way God forgave us and all the things we have done, that we will show that same kind of love, compassion, mercy, and forgiveness to all the people around us.